Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you ride with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show You know her, you love her, Liberty Anders, aka Maggie. Welcome aboard. Hi, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. Uh, it's been a while since you've been on, so thank you so much for coming back. Yeah, thank you for bullying me um, into getting back into podcasting. <laughs> like quite the hiatus there, so it's good to be back. Well, you had a had a good reason for it. Um, before we get into that, I will. Uh, I, I think that we should hash out our discussion from yesterday if you don't mind oh dear okay it, what discussion was this well <laughs> you you posted um basically saying that you know people have been beefing and and they should probably stop and it's kind of ridiculous right yeah so just to like give you my little rant about that i just think it's kind of embarrassing watching old men who have children like call each other losers online, <laughs> you know, that just makes me think that you're a loser. Sure. <laughs> like, you know, I just think it's a poor representation of whatever movement you're trying to build. And also it's always, my frustration with it comes from the fact that it's always on my timeline. Like it's at least twice a week that I see huge Liberty accounts, right. just like, name calling each other on the timeline and it's always the same ones and they're always battling like two random lp cabinet members in like state lp parties who are clearly like those accounts clearly just exist to troll the mises caucus and then the mises caucus lets them right. and it's just frustrating to watch no I, I, yeah. I i agree with the general sentiment i think that uh that you know full-grown men with families probably shouldn't be doing this. Um, but as someone who's in their thirties that, uh, that beefs with these dudes, I feel like I, I am obligated to make the, the counter argument and, mm -hmm. and the counter argument from, from my perspective is that these people have essentially ran the libertarian party, at least in terms of messaging, it feels like. Um, and I think that's where the animus derives, you know, at least from, from my vantage point, I won't speak for anybody else, but, um, because, I feel as if they failed so severely in the past four years in terms of messaging for the Libertarian Party in the most opportune moment in history. Uh, I am willing to be petty and be bullying and to try and drive these people, not necessarily out of the party, but into obscurity in the sense that I don't want them to control the messaging anymore. I don't want them to control the narrative anymore that like, the Mises caucus is filled with racists and blah, blah, blah. And everyone that they hate is labeled that or, you know, what, whatever woke terminology they, they try to apply to all of us. It's very frustrating to me. And I, I think that's the reason that I've fought this fight um, as, as petty and ridiculous as it appears from the outside. So I hope that, I hope that adds a little bit to why we're doing it, yeah. but I mean, you know, for sure, for sure. And I will say this, that like Michael Heist reached out to talk more about the Mises caucus last night. Cause I, I presume that he, um, that he could kind of tell that that's who I was talking about in my tweet. Um, yes. And we all knew Maggie. Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And I totally get that. I think you know that like I'm I'm not part of the pragmatics or the Mises caucus. I think the truth in what the Libertarian Party should be doing lies somewhere in the middle. Sure. And depend it depends on the situation. Um really my frustration with the Mises caucus doesn't have to do with what they think is important. I think top of the list for you guys is obviously war and um, fiscal policy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say war, (laughs) war war is very, very high on the list. And then everything else is kind of below that. For sure. I think, I think um, the anti-war messaging is really important. And I think you guys hit the nail on the head with it. I just don't think that like bickering online with a dude named Archie Flowers gives the movement any credibility. (laughs) That makes sense. It's like, from my perspective, it appears as though grown men who have great ideas are letting some random dude in Vermont get under their skin. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I I get it. But the, uh, the issue from my vantage point is that these guys basically are trying like, uh, here I'll give you some some ammunition as to why this is more important than it may appear. Mm-hmm. Archie Archie is responsible, from my understanding, directly for getting Pete Quinones kicked off of Twitter. So, wow, yeah, and Pete Quinones has been on my show. I'm a huge mm-hmm. fan of his. Um, I think he does really good work. You know, he did the uh, Monopoly on Violence documentary, which is on Amazon currently. He is he is a real messenger for you know peace and liberty and all of the good stuff. Um, I don't find him to be racist or unappealing really in any way at all. So the fact that Archie, this guy who is ultimately irrelevant, uh, Mm -hmm. forced himself, he forced himself into relevancy by deplatforming someone in the Liberty community when we are dealing with really severe issues in this country. And I cannot forgive that. And, and that's the reason, you know? Yeah, that's, that's fair. I, I can, I can see, um, I can see things from your point of view. How do we, okay, one, what was what was the thing that set Archie off about Pete? Just curious, not uh, saying that anyone deserves to get deplatformed, but. Uh, yeah, unfortunately I do not know which no which clue. tweet. Yeah. I, think, I think it was where he said um, some to the effect of like these people, some people don't know like how to respect others unless they've been punched in the face or something like that. Um, okay. Which was just some like, aggro man shit basically but it wasn't a (laughs) it wasn't an overt threat or anything so uh, you know and honestly even if it were I just I really feel that in the libertarian community in particular there has to be honor and there should not be reporting for you know banning people like I would never ever think about yeah I would never consider trying to get Banny uh, getting Archie deplatformed like that's crazy to me no um, I don't think I've ever reported anyone on Twitter and people have said some really awful stuff to me. I just, it feels like snitching. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, it's, it's like worse than that. It's, it's our powerful overlords. And that's just kind of ridiculous. Um, and honestly, ever since the Facebook ban hammer started coming down in the fall, like we should all be, um, all be anti deplatforming because I don't know if you remember, but like I literally was in a discord group that I didn't even participate in. Um, and because I was in that group, it got banned. And then my entire discord profile got wiped. Like, there you go. What, how many, how many followers did you lose during the, the Twitter bans? 
Uh, combined between the two like major nukes, probably a thousand. Same. Yeah. Mine got up to like 1500. Yeah. I kept every time I hit like 16.7 K Twitter would have another ban and then like wipe out my past month of gaining followers. Exactly. Yeah. Like I, I'm about to, you know, get another thousand up, but I've probably, it took me, you know, twice as long because I lost a thousand. So I basically have had to gain 2000 to gain a thousand. It's, it's crazy. But, but my point is, you know, any, anybody in the libertarian community that's fucking reporting other libertarians and trying to deplatform them, I, I consider you a real threat, you know, like, cause that is just so, it's just the antithesis of what we're about. I mean, let the ideas prevail. Let, let the debate win out. I'm, I've, you know, challenged Archie to come on my show a half a dozen times. Um, even though I'm very antagonistic online, I would actually be very respectful to him on the show. Like, I know you'd be, yeah. yeah like, I'm, I'm happy to hear his perspective. And it's just so disappointing that he would, he would actually go on the offensive against us. And it's just like, man, if, if you want this war, you can, you can go this path, but I just, I just don't yeah. think it makes sense. I don't think it's productive, but if they're going to continue to fire shots at us, I feel obligated to fire back. And that, that's the reason that I can't just like swallow it and move on because these guys are constantly attacking the only guys in this movement. I haven't seen them attack any of the ladies yet, but they, no. <laughs> they're constantly attacking the guys in this movement that have really, really significant audiences and are making a difference. And um, you as an activist, I would think would appreciate that, you know, maybe we don't want to undercut the people that are actually making a difference. Yes, that's fair. No, I, I think I think a lot of the attacks are kind of baseless um, against Dave Smith and the rest of them. I just personally think like the best way to get rid of a nuisance is ignoring them, right? And that's just kind of where I'm coming from in my perspective. Also, my opinion cuts uh, kind of deeper into just like a general lack of faith in the Libertarian Party, no matter who is in control. Um, I think you and and I share that. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, I admire the Mises Caucus. I really do. I do think that um, a lot of y'all's efforts have, they really have brought new people into the LP but my, um, from where I'm standing, I want the question to be like, should, is that where we should focus our political energy, right? Um, should we focus our political energy on battling for power with people like Archie Flowers for control of 1% of the voting population? Right. Or should we be taking our fight to the people that are really destroying the country, mm-hmm. right? Um, and you can say all you want about Archie and what he did to Peter, but um, but that he's not the one in, in charge of making policy, right? right? Um, and I think taking our fight to the GOP is is really the um, the ultimate goal. I know a lot of libertarians still disagree with me on that. That's okay, um, but I still think the GOP is the place to be right yeah. now. Well, I, and honestly, I don't disagree with you in terms of actually winning elections. Uh, mm-hmm. My my concern and my interest, as I detailed in that thread that I did in response to your your tweet, was that I believe that ultimately the Libertarian Party, given that it is almost certainly never going to win a national election, is to be a propaganda arm, and I want that propaganda to be crafted in a way that actually messages our beliefs as opposed to 
what it did over the past 12 months. And, and that is my entire goal here. Like, and I think that that's why I am so behind the Mises caucus. I'm so behind Dave Smith and these other people that are trying to take it over is because they all see it the same way that you do. Actually, they, they don't believe that the libertarian party is going to save America. They believe that the messaging needs to be proper so that we can at least reach those that are open to our ideas of decentralization and potentially secession. And, and that is the goal. So as far as, you know, crafting policy and winning, I agree with you. You know, the Republican party is ripe for a takeover that they have all of the ammo to actually get shit done. Um, So I don't, I don't think we actually disagree here. I just, I'm not sure that are, were you aware that that's our goal with the LP is that it's not actually about winning elections? I've heard several different arguments for the LP. Um, the main one that I've heard from people that I respect within the LP is we want to use this party as a spoiler to let other parties know that these are the goals of the American people. And if they want to win elections in the future, they're going to have to get more libertarian with their policy and messaging. Yeah, um, that's we are the spoiler group. That's Kurt, the libertarian's whole platform. And I, I don't disagree with that either. I don't either. Um, but yeah, when it comes to messaging, like I said, I'm somewhere in between the pragmatics and the Mises caucus, because I think in general, the Mises caucus understands like what are the top issues we should be messaging on. However, as far as like me as a lady, <laughs> me as a lady, Mises caucus messaging doesn't necessarily appeal to me because it's very like manly and aggressive. Yes. <laughs> and I don't, I don't necessarily think that that's going to reach the widest audience. And I don't know if that's what you guys are trying to do. Are you telling me that you don't like my Twitter account? Cause I am fucking pure testosterone <laughs> and rage. No, I love your Twitter account. I don't know what you're talking about. No idea where you got that from. <laughs> well, I mean, if you don't like the Mises messaging, I am pretty much, uh, you know, I'm not the face of it, but I am, I, I embody it quite well, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not that I dislike it. It's that I think um, you have to save aggressive political energy for specific moments, right? So there's like this video of a girl going around saying that, you know, she worked on Kamala Harris's campaign and she's 19 years old and she's like already doing all this stuff. And someone was like, oh my God, don't you love being a warmonger at a young age? And I don't think it was a Mises person, but that is just like, to me, the perfect representation of what is wrong with like super radical libertarian messaging is that when you kind of dilute terms like warmonger, people no longer are going to listen or respect what you have to say because they just think you're way far out to like way far out in outer space, right? Like okay. you aren't in touch with like reality or um, the way the world works. Okay. Sorry if this is wrong. <laughs> um, no, no. But- I, I, I just want to hear your vantage point. I have a difference of opinion, obviously. Yeah, for sure. So I think, like, we definitely should be able to use words like that, but apply them to very specific situations. And I don't necessarily think this is like a Dave Smith problem or whatever, because they're very good with their messaging. It's when it gets filtered down to your little baby libertarians and they run around um, just like with this very extreme messaging that can just turn people off. Right. Okay. Um, 
something that I always used to employ when talking to my students in Yao, because I was working with everyone from like conservatives to libertarians to anarcho-capitalists, like all these different sides of the spectrum of what could be considered like the liberty movement. And from my perspective, it was way better for me to kind of connect with what we agreed on already. And if I wanted to push them, I would push them from their own set of ideas. Yeah. Uh, and I think when it comes to the Mises caucus, yes, I think it does a good job of maybe turning some more libertarians more radical, which I don't think is a terrible thing. And I do think you, you can appeal to Republicans that want to come over, but when it comes to the purple people that you really need to persuade to get politically involved, they are starting from a point of total political apathy mm -hmm. and you have to get them to the point of caring. So you yep. have to work up your messaging and you have to work these people up to a point where they can be, you know, um, pissed off at everything and whatever, but you can't start out at a hundred percent. That's my problem. Okay, That's well, a long-winded way of explaining. You cannot start out at a hundred percent with people who are not on the same pages. I, I yeah. agree. I agree. But I think that, I think that your, your argument is based in winning over voters. And, and I think that maybe you don't believe me, but our messaging is not about winning over voters. It's about radicalizing people into being basically foot soldiers for freedom and not necessarily in a militaristic sense, but <laughs> true, true radical, you know, se like secessionist movement is really, is really the, the vein that, that runs through the Mises caucus in my view. And I mean, you don't think that we're going to win national elections, do you? No. Okay. So no. why, why are you concerned with us reaching the purple people? Because the purple people don't really have an ideology. They're the average everyday people that are just voting for their interests. So if you're trying to reach like non-political people, if you're trying to really bring in new people into the ideological movement of libertarianism, not necessarily right. the voting population, um, that's that's who I'm referring to. No, I, I know that's who you're referring to. Warming up your messaging to right. people. I know, I know that's who you're referring to, but I'm saying I'm not interested in reaching those people. Gotcha. Okay. Then so, who is the target? <laughs> you know? The, yeah. The, the target is basically streamlining and reinvigorating the Ron Paul movement, the, mm -hmm. the hardcore libertarians that feel like they've been abandoned by the cathedral type libertarian party that is more interested in, you know, the Justin Amash perspective of like take a take a small step here pass some you know not pass but write some bills here and there but don't ever get anything passed um mm -hmm. the, pra the pragmatists you know like those are the people that we are trying to get away from because from my vantage point pragmatism and the the opportunity for pragmatic incremental wins that ship has sailed i i don't believe i don't believe that we can win this country back before the country falls apart so I think that's probably the difference of opinion. And then secondarily, I think that your age difference between, you know, you and me mm -hmm. is that I have been around a little bit longer in this to feel a level of rage that I'm not sure that you've gotten to yet. Does that make sense? 
So, and, and this is not to diminish your emotions or anything like that. I'm just saying you, you were a baby, you know, basically watching Ron Paul get, yeah. get abused. I was a man watching Ron Paul get abused. And, and now I have watched the LP disintegrate in front of me, um, do worse and worse with pragmatic milk toast, watered down messaging to try and reach the middle. It doesn't fucking work. That's my thesis. Well, I, I'd say that's pretty accurate. Yeah. I, I definitely <laughs> was a baby watching Ron Paul, so I don't remember any of it. <laughs> exactly. But as far as like pragmatism goes, I think my disagreement with the, the pragmatics in the LP is just in order to be pragmatic, you have to come from at least a position of power. Right. So at this point in and my life, none. yeah. And there's none. Right. Yeah. Um, so I do agree. That's what I mean when I say like, I'm somewhere in between you guys, because I do agree that the LP is not necessarily reaching anyone new. Right. And they're kind of failing. Right. And, but, the, and, and but they're doing it in the ways that you're describing of, of trying to reach the purple, trying to be, trying to moderate our more radical side. They're going completely counter to Ron Paul, who stood in front of Republicans and said, we have to end these wars. This is blowback. We have responsibility for what happened to us on 9-11. Like all things that are, that are not appreciated amongst Republicans. So That's I think Ron Paul spoke the truth, but I don't think he was aggressive about it. Right. No, you're right. He did it in a, in a happy warrior sort of way. Exactly. And that's, that's where I'm coming from in terms of, you can speak the truth to people, but when you're aggressive and when you call people names and when you're just like bickering on Twitter constantly, that doesn't necessarily put forward the same face that Ron Paul did. I completely agree. Yeah, no. And, and honestly, on a, on a campaign type level, like, Dave Smith's a perfect example of it. Like he pairs his rage over the wars with a kindness and a humor that, that reaches people. And I'm the same way. Like I'm very vicious to Archie flower and other people online, but I am also anyone that comes to me with a level of dignity and honesty and asks me genuine questions. I'm, I go back and forth with you all day, you know, like, cause Cause I, I do care about converting people because I want to fucking help people. Like I really, really do. Um, but when I see people that are in so, so-called in my team that are hurting my cause, that's mm-hmm. when I get really upset. So I don't know. It's, it's tough. It's tough. <laughs> that's yeah. I, I totally understand. And, and I think when it comes to people like him, people that like legitimately are supposed to be on your team and then actively try to destroy the team. Um, I really, I really truly believe, and this might just be me being um, very close to my high school years when I was, you know, when bullying was a thing. Um, When you give the person ammunition, when you like keep trying to fight back, um, especially online, that just grows their presence. It grows the power that they have. Um, It's the same thing I was talking about. I tweeted the other day about like, you know, when you talk more about a politician, they gain more power like Marjorie Taylor Greene, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Like the more you guys are tweeting about her, the more popular she's becoming and reaching 
an audience across the country. It's the same thing with people that do horrible stuff to each other um, online. You know, I just, I think it's a waste of energy, but kind of getting back to Mises caucus messaging. um, Like, obviously I'm, I actually don't watch libertarian media, weirdly enough. Um, I, I just find it to be like a regurgitation of my opinions back to me a lot of of the time. Yeah. So I, I actually really enjoy listening to like more left-wing stuff that like, I totally don't just, I totally don't agree with because Mm -hmm. um, it really helps me like solidify my own beliefs, but also I'm I'm the same way. Yeah. It helps me remain within the realm of reality. So I don't know all of the Mises talking points, but um, as far as like where the LP failed, in my opinion, in the year 2020 was not messaging against these lockdowns in the right way. Like that should have been on the forefront yep. of the LP's platform. You, and you know I'm not going to disagree. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you started the show, right? Exactly. And, yeah. and that's, that's the whole reason that I'm getting involved with the LP is because I was mm-hmm. so heartbroken that they didn't do that for us. Yeah. You know? Um, it's really disappointing and they missed out on a really brilliant opportunity to pull in a lot of these disenfranchised conservatives. Cause yeah. let's be honest, it was the conservatives were the ones that were feeling like what the hell is going on. And it was a huge missed opportunity. So that is a point where I will align the prag, the pragmatic caucus has totally missed the boat on what is going to pull new people into the party. Um, totally missed the boat and has gone the extreme moderate route of messaging. And I just don't know if that's going to work without um, a person who had, like, I still don't get why, how Gary Johnson got so much of the vote. I think it had to do. Joe Rogan. Yeah. Um, I think it also had to do with the fact that he was a former governor. And I think it had to do with the fact that people are just really disenfranchised between Trump and, and Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. right? They didn't want either. But in 2020, here's the thing that you have to um, give the LP a little bit of a break on. Nobody wanted to sacrifice their vote. That's how, that's oh, right. how um, stressful this year was. That's how heated up the political climate had become. Mm-hmm. So I didn't see a world in which Joe Jorgensen was going to get 5%. There was just no way in my mind. Um, I also knew that Trump was going to lose. Like, <laughs> um, I, I could see all of these ha- things happening um, just because the message had become so much. You are either for Trump or against him. And there was no room in the conversation for the LP or third parties. And the LP didn't make room in the conversation for themselves, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. But, but yeah. I, I just think that the, uh, well, let me, let me circle back a little bit to the reason I think that a more angry messaging makes sense. This, I don't think there has ever been a year where there was more people in America that were angry. And, yeah. and I think that Trump's success was that he tapped into the anger in 2016 because people are feeling the uh the income inequality and things that even if his prescriptions for what ails us are wrong he identifies the issues pretty well Mm 
And, you know, even though he's like, oh, we just need to stop immigration because that'll, that'll bring all our jobs back and protectionism. He's a moron. But but the point is, he he nailed it when it comes to how people feel. And that's all I'm asking from the Libertarian Party is to yeah. to represent the emotion in this fucking country. We are furious that our businesses have been destroyed. We've watched people protest and, and burn shit and and nothing's changed. There's been no real progress to be had, even for you know, Black Lives Matter, like they didn't get anything out of all that. That's sorry to stop you. You know what Black Lives Matter got? Okay. I know this sounds like a boomer con thing to say, but they got Joe Biden elected. Um, Yeah. Nice, nice victory. Utilized all of those petitions, all of those signups, all of those BLM campaigns to recruit numbers to text to get out the vote. Like that's really the what it produced maybe laws were changed i think in colorado they ended qualified immunity but you're absolutely right nothing's really come of all of the um massive distrust of the government yeah yeah and and i mean what what is that victory i mean it is it is the most obvious abuse of the black community i could imagine you get the guy who imprisoned most of their fucking fathers to be the president. And then Kamala Harris who enforced those policies. Like it's just, it's just a, it's such a slap in the face. And that, that's the other thing that upsets me about the the pragmatic caucus is like, they don't seem to be upset about that. They're just like, yeah, we'll fucking say black lives matter and you know, whatever. But I actually care. Yeah, like you mean it. Yeah, <laughs> you know I, what I mean? That's what I'm saying. I, I, I really fucking care about ending all of these issues that are destroying the black community. And I don't think they do. I think that they care about, about, you know, saying the right thing and coming off like you're a good person. I don't really care if you think I'm a good person because I really want to get people out of prison. Like I really, really do. And I really want to end these wars. I really do. And I don't care if I come across mean or angry because I am angry, you know, like, I'm really upset about this and I've been watching it for far too long. And it's just like that really are sick of the virtue signaling and nothing getting accomplished. And I want to have a party that at least represents those people in message, whether or not they vote for us. I want them to know that like we are the party that actually cares about these things and we actually would change it if we ever got any power, whether or not we will, you know? I think that is a great way to message like um, so a lot of, a lot of the Mises caucus was upset with Joe Jorgensen tweeting out the, um, like, the stuff. Yeah. um, and I think approaching it from that point of view, like, no, it's not enough just to say these words though, which is what you're doing. You're just saying the words and like virtue signaling, you have to actually tell us what you are going to do in order to solve this. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, I, I totally get that. Um, I don't know. I think the, it's, it's the same reason I feel the way I do about trying to win elections under the Libertarian Party. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the exact same reason I feel that way, because I find that so many people get their panties in a twist when I say that we're not going to achieve electoral victories under a third party. Um, even though one, I am speaking the truth. If I say something like that and I put my foot down and I say it over and over and over again, 
it's not just an opinion at that point. Okay. <laughs> I'm a pretty agreeable person. I will mold and bend and change and work with someone to reach a, a conclusion together, but I will not stop putting my foot down about the fact that like, there are a lot of baby libertarians who don't understand that the LP is being used to spoil elections. That's the whole reason for it. Um, not to win them. Yep. There are so many baby LPers who are just these young kids who think that the LP is going to win and that we're going to get 5% of the vote next year, which is not going to happen. Um, and it's just frustrating. And my thing is like, we have a limited amount of resources. And what those resources are, are volunteers, energy, money, that kind of stuff, time. Right. We have a limited amount of resources because we are a limited group of people. Yeah, in the for sure. And where are we directing that? And I think this cuts back to my original problem that I was having yesterday with the bickering online. It's just like, whenever I see the, the libertarian movement going off track, it's really frustrating because mm -hmm. I also really care about getting these people out of prison. I mean, I'm back in my home state of Louisiana God bless. <laughs> but Louisiana is the state that turned me into a libertarian mm -hmm. because Louisiana is the opposite right. of a libertarian dream, right? We are the state of Huey P. Long, um, social conservatism and economic populism, right? Like name a worse duo. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, like my state has been suffering from all these things. We have the worst education in the country, the highest prison population. Um, our tax code is like over 400 pages long. Um, we also are 47th in terms of people moving into the state. We're literally losing, we're bleeding population similar to California and New York, That's right? Wild. That's why. And so I also, I also really, really care about these issues yeah. because I want to, I want to raise my kids here, frankly, like this is my home mm -hmm. and I want to stay here and fight for my state. Um, but it's not going to get done if we keep directing all of our time and pent up energy into um, something that frankly is going to help us continue to lose. Yeah. Right. I get that. I mean, um, if you've seen liberty continue to be withered away over your lifetime, um, yeah, that makes sense to me because we're kind of all scattered out and where we're putting our energy. And I don't think anyone has a real understanding or sense of guidance in where we need to be directing all of that energy. The socialists got it right going through the Democratic Party. I was and just gonna say that. Bernie Sanders, yeah. Bernie Sanders also got screwed over the same way Ron Paul did, right? Yes. But look, look at the Republicans' representation of the Democratic Party. They're calling them socialists. Exactly. And like people like AOC now have more power um, socially and politically than people like, um, what's her name? I'm literally forgetting the Speaker of the House's name. Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Yeah. Culturally, AOC has more power. And that's what libertarians want, right? Yes. We want that cultural power. Yes. How do you get there? You have to have a microphone. Yes. You have to. Which is all I am doing by trying to get <laughs> Archie Flower out of my fucking way is so I can have the microphone of the LP. That's it. But the 
LP isn't a microphone. <laughs> it is, no, it will be when I'm on that bitch. I'm telling okay, you. Okay, <laughs> okay. But my whole argument is the LP is not a microphone. Well, it's, it's not, not a loud one. It's not a loud one. I'll, I'll grant yeah. you that. I'll grant you that. But here's the thing. The the socialists did did exactly what you're talking about. They they shifted the Overton window of the entire DNC because and and they did it with very vitriolic language, very energized, hateful language oftentimes. What's that? That's fair. <laughs> it's true. It's true they did. I mean, they they talk about, you know, guillotines and all sorts of crazy shit. They're fucking nutcases. So like I don't view the LP as as being pragmatic as a as an even an option like you have to be radical if you want the moderate libertarians that's where the that they go to the rnc or they go to the dnc but you need the liberty libertarian party to be pushing the overton window towards radical freedom and then the rnc has to respond by becoming the party of radical freedom to keep us from voting for the lp exactly like you were talking about earlier it's all about the spoiler campaigns that this is the only way we become a spoiler is if we're actually converting the policy the the party that we're trying to spoil into being something we want to participate in. At this point, I don't want to participate in the RNC and neither do you. So that's the whole reason that, that I think that this, this plan makes the most sense. And I understand that it may not be appealing in appearance at first um, and it may go against your nature. And I totally appreciate that because you're a much nicer person than me. Um, <laughs> I try but- to be. <laughs> no, you are. You are definitely a nicer person than me. But there is a method to my madness. So I hope that I've been able to explain it a little bit better. And it doesn't come across as just like stupid macho bravado. Like there's a real there's a real yeah. logic to what we're doing. You know what I mean? Yes, you've explained it a lot better than most people could. Great. I'm glad yeah. to hear. I'm glad to hear. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's get into Time's secret history of the shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election. Did you get a chance to read it? Yes, I read through it. Okay, well, it's super interesting. And and the reason I thought it would be so terrific to talk to you about it is because you actually understand the inner workings of political parties in a way that I do not. So Mm -hmm. you'll be able to tell me where I'm completely off the rails in conspiracy land and how much of this is just political action that makes sense to you. So yeah, um, let's get it going. So uh, I'm just, I just took a bunch of snippets from it and I'm going to read them off and then we can talk. Okay. Okay. All right. So this article came out on time uh, from time magazine a week ago, and it is, in my opinion, one of the more brazen uh, explanations to how they laid the groundwork for whether or not you believe there were shenanigans with the election. I think that it, it really explains how they ensured their victory. So mm-hmm. Uh, There was a conspiracy unfolding behind the scenes, one that both curtailed the protests and coordinated the resistance from CEOs. Uh, Both surprises were the result of an informal alliance between left-wing activists and business titans, uh, fascism. Uh, The pact was formalized in a terse, little-noticed joint statement of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and AFL-CIO published on Election Day. Both sides would come to see it as a sort of implicit bargain. Inspired by the summer's massive, sometimes destructive racial, racial justice protests, in which the forces of labor came together with the forces of capital to keep the peace and oppose Trump's assault on democracy. The handshake between business and labor was just one component of a vast cross-partisan campaign to protect the election, an extraordinary shadow effort dedicated not to winning the vote, but to ensuring it, uh, to ensuring it would be free and fair. 
credible and uncorrupted. For more than a year, a loosely organized coalition of operatives scrambled to shore up America's institutions as they came under simultaneous attacks from a remorseless pandemic and an autocratically inclined president. Though much of this activity took place on the left, it was separate from the Biden campaign and crossed ideological lines with crucial contributions by nonpartisan and conservative actors. So what do you think so far? So the first thing to mention is that, um, you know, more of the liberal wing um, and the corporations are pairing up with the leftist activists, right, to curtail the protests. So one, this makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I kept hearing that like, okay, if these protests had kept happening, it would have been Trump's election. And I have to agree with that. Um, the So like my opinion on who was going to win kept changing um, throughout 2020. But during the summer months, it became pretty clear to me that Trump was going to win because the riots and the protests were scaring off the purple voter, right? Um, And that's who you have to pay attention to in an election, the purple voter or the person that isn't yet registered or doesn't really vote often. Um, Because in presidential elections that come this close, uh, you already know that like there's a certain amount of the population that can't vote. Um, There is a certain amount of the population that is automatically on board with the Republicans and automatically on board with the Democrats. It's those people in the middle. And it's undecided. Mm -hmm. It's a very small percentage of the population. Yeah, it's like five. Uh, Right. Um, Those are the people that any political party is going to be trying to win over, Um, especially in like purple districts and nationwide. So really um, throughout 2020, it was a game to see who could win the middle. Um, And of course, this kind of network of leftists, liberals, corporations, even some, even some like Republicans um, that really didn't like Trump. Yeah, they all did come together. I mean, John Kasich literally presented at the DNC against Trump. Right. You know, so that was pretty, pretty obvious. But what stands out to me in that article is the uh, curtailment of the protests which I did notice they did stop right around the time where they needed to stop. And also it was kind of shocking not to see them on Capitol Hill on January 6th. Now, and they explain why, I mean, yeah, they literally explained in the article that they were told to stand down, do not raid the Capitol. um, But but Maggie, you have, you have to consider the fact that, if they're capable of telling these people to stand down, that means that they controlled them to begin with. Does it not? Yes. 100%. Okay. So my, my red pill take on this is that the riots over the summer were a political action to begin with. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. pr- that's pretty fucking earth shattering news because most people, most people believe that that was an organic movement exclusively based off of police brutality. When in fact it almost certainly was not. No. Um, not to that scale. There were definitely organizations behind it. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the movement was organic because grassroots movements have to kind of yeah. act that way. No doubt. Um, but like I said earlier, 
the protests were a major list building opportunity for the Democrats Mm -hmm. because all of these petitions that you would see in people's bios or under people's tweets, do you think those petitions actually go anywhere or do anything? No, I literally like you can, I can write up a petition to be like, um, Hey, we should demand, um, the second amendment in this state, you know, um, and then I can use those signups to then go and like either send emails or I just have a bunch of information. Um, and I really think that's what either like either it was coordinated from the beginning by these political organizations or they were just smart, like any political organization would be and just captured the moment. Yeah. Should be. Yes. Yeah. Should yeah. be. Yeah. But as we've seen, a lot of <laughs> liberty oriented organizations are not smart. Um, well, that and, and apparent apparently the RNC as well. Um, but yes. we'll let me let me keep going and we'll we'll talk mm-hmm. more. Um, the scenario the shadow campaigners were desperate to stop was not a Trump victory. It was an election so calamitous that no result could be discerned at all. A failure of the central act of democratic self-governance that has been a hallmark of America since its founding. First and foremost, that's a lie. There has been numerous elections, including the one in 2000, that took well over a month for it to be decided. So I don't buy this argument at all that that would be such a failure that it had to be prevented against. I mean, these people started this planning two years ago. So this was before lockdown. You know, this was before all the Black Lives Matter protests. They and were, the mail-in ballot and uh, all narrative. Of yeah. All of yeah. They, they game planned this shit years ago. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but this gives me all sorts of like Alex Jones vibes. TVs, yeah, yeah. It's sketch. It's sketch for sure. I mean, did we not see this coming though? Well. We were <laughs> like... From the moment he won, even the primary back in 2015, like the all of the like, quote unquote, rational political figures um, and organizations and heads of corporations, like they were all doing the most to try to get him out of office. Like, of course, they were going to plan in advance the best uh, possible campaign to get rid of him. And I think what this article exposes to a lot of people who didn't know before is that political campaigns have a lot more, like a lot more goes into these big, massive political campaigns than just TV ads, right? A lot more. It's a lot of manipulation of the narrative and the conversation. It's a lot of list building, a lot of get out the vote, especially for Democrats. If you're doing voter registration drives, how many of those people do you really think are going to vote Republican? Yeah, a no. very low percentage. <laughs> I turnout means means a Democrat is usually going to win. No, I know, and that that's well. Actually, they talk about it later. But um, I, did you know? I mean, because like I knew obviously that there's much more than just um, ads. You know, like I know I know there's a lot that goes into this stuff. Did you actually know to the extent at which they could control the narrative? Because like I was not. I did not believe that they had this kind of control to basically start and stop protests to, to uh, control the narrative on all tech platforms. They pushed Mark Zuckerberg and, and uh, Jack Dorsey into, you know, enforcing their, their platform policies to diminish the voices of conservative and, and also legitimate fucking news about Hunter Biden. Um, 
Did you know that they could do all this? Because I did not. So definitely not anything about the protests. Um, I thought those were a lot more grassroots. I can see them forming a coalition later on in the year to like a coalition means you're getting something out of it too. So I can see like left-wing grassroots movements forming a coalition to kind of work with these people. Um, but stop and start protests. No, not necessarily. Yeah. Cause these are supposed to be spontaneous. Um, but uh, as far as the tech giants, this article just shed so much more light on how they did it, Huge. you know, Huge. Um, because the running narrative has been, oh, Jack is just a leftist and like he just wants to silence people. And it's like, maybe not. Maybe he got pressured from a lot of activists, yeah. you know? Well, yeah, I, I think it was more than pressure personally. Personally, I think it goes to the next level of sitting politicians likely sitting down with these guys or calling them up and saying, hey, you know all those protests that you had at, their at your house for dinner yesterday? They work with me. I just want to let you know, you play ball with them. Your your monopoly essentially stands under the, the next presidency. I think it's it's as simple as that. It's as easy as that. And I think people are very naive if they don't think that that's a real real distinct possibility. Well, that's that's how all business works with politics. Um, even in my state, like it's been really crazy seeing how our state, instead of just like simplifying and lowering the tax code, will just like give special handouts every time they want a business to come in, which means all of these new exceptions get added every time like a business lobbies the government. Yep. That's, this is how it works. I know, <laughs> you know? I know. Like, but so I, I, should <laughs> I know we shouldn't be surprised, but it's just, it's the scale of it is so enormous, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's kind of insidious how deeply it affects us. That's yeah. really what the takeaway should be yes. from at least um, how these people worked the tech giants to kind of bend to their will. Mm -hmm. The insidious part of it is not just that politicians have so much power over industry and vice versa, but that kind of like that trickles down to us in a really major way, especially when we're talking about social media, mm -hmm. because it is kind of like the public square where we're all talking to each other, especially during a pandemic yeah. where we can't physically see each other, according yeah. to our government overlords. Well, a pandemic and and a presidential election that, you know, most people would consider pretty damn important. Uh, it's it's just jaw dropping in its in its scale, you know, like and the fact that they would. I mean, this is all stuff that we've pontificated on, assumed, um, basically deduced, but to have it laid out in this fashion was amazing. Here, I'll keep keep going. Um, <clears throat> uh, their work touched every aspect of the election. They got states to change voting systems and laws and help secure hundreds of millions in public and private funding. They fended off voter suppression lawsuits, recruited armies of poll workers, and got millions of people to vote by mail for the first time. They successfully pressured social media companies to take a harder line against dis disinformation and use data-driven strategies to fight viral smears. They executed national public awareness campaigns that help, uh, helped Americans understand how the vote count would unfold over days or weeks, preventing Trump's conspiracy theories and false claims of victory from getting more traction. Uh, quick caveat, how the fuck would you know 
that it was going to be so close and that he was going to have these claims and like it and and like there's never an assumption that he might have won this election like it's so creepy how they talk about it anyways i'll keep going after election day they monitored every pressure point to ensure that trump could not overturn the result the untold story of the election is the thousands of people of both parties who accomplished the triumph of american democracy as its very foundation says norm eisen a prominent lawyer and former obama administration official who recruited republicans and democrats to the board of voter protection program that's why the participants want the secret history of the 2020 election told. Even though it sounds like a paranoid fever dream, yes, it does. A well-funded cabal of powerful people ranging across industries and ideologies, working together behind the scenes to influence perceptions, change rules and laws, steer media coverage, and control the flow of information. They were not rigging the election. They were fortifying it. And they believe the public needs to understand the system's fragility in order to ensure that democracy in America endures. That is fucking so crazy. That paragraph is unbelievable. Yeah, right? <laughs> they wanted it to be known. Like, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Like these, um, these people actually are now, I mean, they wanted credit. They, they couldn't keep the secret because they needed credit for what they had done. Amazing. Hey, but they got rid of the dictator, right? Exactly. Yeah. So the, of course they want credit. They want their names in the history books, bro. Yeah. Well, we only had 30,000 troops surrounding the uh, the White House and the inauguration of the new totally not a dictator. So nothing to see there. So what is so funny to me is that like one, these journalists oftentimes do not know their audience. I mean, I don't necessarily think a bunch of conservatives are reading time, but when you put in there like well-funded cabal of people, <laughs> that's going to make it to... Um, there's no, there's no way we're going to miss that. Right. Right. So it's just so funny, um, how some, some of these journalists and magazines just really don't understand how they are, um, kind of fortifying people's fears yeah. about what's happening to our government. Um, same way there was that piece published about, um, the, what was it called? The great reset. Yeah. And just like, they thought, this is so cool. Like, isn't this so cool? Like, we're going to reset society and all of us are like, no. They, they, ran, they ran that fucking advertisement where they're like, you'll own nothing and you'll, be, and you'll never have been happier. And I'm like, no, I won't. No, no. <laughs> Especially you. You have your nice house in California. <laughs> I'd be very upset. Let's, let's, yeah. let's be honest. Um, yeah, I'll keep sure. going. It, so <laughs> this whole thing was implemented by Mike Podhorzer, who's a senior advisor to the president of, a, of the AFL-CIO, which is the nation's largest union federation. So this is clear union shit that transpired. Um, he, he held these, these meetings and in the, in the article, it says the meetings began or became the galactic center for a constellation of operatives across the left who shared overlapping goals, but didn't usually work in concert. The group had no name, no leaders, and no hierarchy, but it kept the disparate, the disparate actors in sync. I mean, it's just the description it of it. It did uh, have a name it's called the Illuminati. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're so good. Uh, so yeah, the, the Chan Zuckerberg initiative chipped in $300 million to this campaign. So Facebook, who was allegedly lobbied by these people to enforce their um, censorship or deplatforming of people, chipped in 300 million to the very organization that, that propagated all of this. Um, on March 3rd, Podhorzer drafted a three-page confidential memo. Why the fuck's it confidential? I don't know. Uh, titled, quote, threats to the 2020 election, end quote. 
uh, new quote, Trump had made it clear that this will not be a fair election and that he will reject anything but his own re-election as fake and rigged, he wrote. On November 3rd, should the media report otherwise, we will use the right-wing information system to establish his narrative and incite his supporters to protest. The memo laid out four categories of challenges, attacks on voters, attacks on election administration, attacks on Trump's political opponents, and efforts to reverse the, re the results of the election. That, that line is really confusing to me because it implies, he said, he, oh, oh, okay, they're saying Trump. So they're saying Trump would use right-wing information systems to establish his narrative. Well, of course, but and I mean- here's, here's the thing, he did. Yeah. That's, that's the only thing that I struggle with reading this article um, is that Trump also established a huge, I hate to use their language, but disinformation campaign. Sure. Uh, where it felt like the American voting population was getting like screamed at in both ears and you couldn't really decipher what was real and what wasn't. Like them telling us that mail-in voting is safer than going in person. Just from the fact that mail-in voting has so many steps to your vote getting cast, that's just untrue. Yeah, you clear. know what I mean? Clear. So like, on that side, you feel like you're going crazy. And then, I mean, it is true. Like Trump did start the narrative that like they would use mail-in voting to rig the system against him at some point mid 2020, I think, um, yeah. when they really started ramping up the uh, pro mail-in voting yeah, discourse. It was, yeah, it was during the summer. I remember it. So, yeah, I mean, everybody was planning for this like big insurrection, but I think that they thought that Trump's capabilities were a lot greater than they were because no kidding. Yes, we did see what happened on Capitol Hill. And I'm going to be honest, I was not a fan um, just because like, I think it's one really dumb to do that over losing an election and two, yeah, people are going to lose their lives, right? Like yeah. you are raiding a federal building. Like they take that really seriously. Um, so it was just really sad to me to see like people actually losing their lives over an election, right? I, I've had I've had two people on my show that um, were both present for the Capitol protests. They didn't go in, so they're not, you know, any danger or anything. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> but both of them say that they they independently like i didn't bring it up they both said independently that they believe strongly that you know 99 of the people there were genuine trump supporters that were just protesting peacefully and they mm -hmm. were caught up in the the wave led by what they believe were agent provocateurs do you not give any credence to that that that's a potential truth i think it's potentially true but um I see it as being more likely that there were people radicalized enough on the side of Trump that they went and did that. It's possible. Sure. You know? um, just because I have been, I went to a, um, a conservative convention right before they were going to be certifying the election results. Mm -hmm. And all they talked about was election fraud. Like that's legitimately all they talked about, which is kind of scary because like if, if that's going to become the 
narrative of the Republican party for the next four years, then I don't want any part of it. I just find it really annoying to be honest. I, I think it's, um, it's interesting that, 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 that appalls you in that way, given that, you know, the Democrats very much claim. Well, that's why, that's oh, okay. why it grosses me out because I'm like, well, they did this for four years on with the Democrats. And frankly, it's just a distraction, right? It's, it's a distracting narrative while well, they it's, go. It's a distraction if it's untrue. Do, I mean, do you think that there's no chance that this was actually rigged? I don't think it was rigged. Here's okay. why. Here's why. Um, I will give you this. Mail-in voting is not as secure as people wanted you to believe it was um, because this is just human error, right? Um, and every state had like a different system with the mail-in votes, so, you know, like there, there is the potential for abuse within mm -hmm. the system. Yeah. 100%. Um, I also believe that every election has to some degree, or at least most elections has to some degree, uh, some kind of fraud taking place. That's my general belief. Um, well, I think that's, that's just, that's just a truth. Like just a truth, right? Yeah. It just happens. And um, we can't necessarily control for all of it, but here's the thing. Did enough election fraud occur to where it legitimately defeated Trump's quote unquote victory? No, I don't believe that to be true. And I think a lot of the narratives surrounding, oh, like Trump couldn't have lost because he had these massive rallies or like more people came out to vote for Trump than had before a lot of these narratives if you don't if you are not politically savvy and you don't understand how 2020 was shaped different. up yeah how it was different than a lot of years then you're not going to get it and this article that we're skimming through really breaks it down how they were able to drive up votes for democrats and listen that's not fraud it just isn't it's smart it's right campaigning yeah um it's scary but it's not <laughs> fraud um well I, I i agree with you it's not fraud up until you get into the the realm of partnering with businesses to i mean you may it may not be fraud it may mm -hmm. that may not be the right word for it but but partnering with biz, big businesses to mm -hmm. essentially suppress one voter and propel yeah. the other it's it's a manipulative tactic that is not supposed to be how we do things in america yeah, that's supposed to. Um, be, you know, I do think I think there is something deeply wrong with suppressing uh, voter speech on on platforms. Do I have the answers for big tech? I really don't. I'm not a big enough policy nerd to give you answers on what to do about this situation because I do think it is a legitimate threat to democracy, which these people claim to care about. Right. Um, it's, it's funny because this, this article is basically bragging about how they save democracy. And as far as I'm concerned, this is the last nail in the coffin of democracy. Mm -hmm. um, but here, here are the smart things that Democrats did. Um, one, they established Trump as illegitimate from the start. Um, literally all the way back in 2016, they hit him with the Russiagate stuff right right out of the gate, right? So already establishing him as illegitimate, they built the narrative over four years that he was 
vying for dictatorial powers, um, that he was all of these horrible things, um, that he was going to destroy America's presence on the world stage, all that kind of stuff, delegitimizing him. Yeah, and and that he was illegitimately had won the election in the first place and he was a puppet of Russia. So yeah, they did it all the way around. So there was that factor. Um, And then you see that they are pushing get out the vote harder than they ever have. And this is what I think it really came down to. One, the protests stopped just in time to build an angry enough movement to have like really energized voters for Biden, but also to not scare the suburban moms so much that they don't vote for Joe. Also to plant in their idea in their minds, like, listen, this is Trump's fault. If if we like Joe, we don't have riots anymore. So like right. all of these perfect um, pieces of the puzzle came together. And in my opinion, it was the get out the vote drive to typical non-voters and apathetic voters. 2020 made it so that you couldn't not care about politics, right? No kidding. So, Really, this was about signing up and registering as many people as possible. So many people lost their jobs. The narrative was that Trump was blocking the stimulus bill and blocking money to, um, you know, families who could no longer put food on the table. And like, if we had messaged the lockdown stuff correctly, I feel like it would have been a different story. I agree. But the Democrats did. They built this huge coalition um, of hardcore leftists, liberals, um, corporations, uh, Hollywood, all of these people that you guys refer to as the cathedral. Like, yeah, that was Joe Biden's voting base and disenfranchised Republicans. I mean, I knocked doors up in New Hampshire and there were people who would tell me, listen, I've voted Republican my entire life. I refuse to vote for a Republican now that Donald Trump is in office. Of course. No, I, and, I, and I, I know that's true. Um, but it's it just to me, it, it emphasizes the fact that they had to do all of this to barely beat Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. Like if it weren't for the pandemic, if it weren't for the riots, if the economy was still roaring, if everyone's businesses were still functioning, if they didn't have tech censoring, I mean, he would have won by a billion votes. Like, I really think he would have had 90 million votes had had all that shit not go down. And I and think it's his just, base is energized enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's but- just amazing. And and you know what? If the options were him ver- and, and the economy's booming and everything else, and I haven't witnessed him fail to prevent me from being fucking locked down and having my business closed, I probably would have voted for him. Even though I don't like the guy, I probably would have voted for him because I despise Joe Biden. But yeah. but because of the lockdown and because of the protests and because society was decaying, I was like, okay, I'm going to vote for the LP again, as I always do. Um, but it's really, it's just amazing to me the, the lengths that they had to go to to beat a guy who they have 24-7 control of all narrative. They control almost the entire narrative and they could barely beat this guy during a pandemic maggie that's crazy it is crazy um and i think it's a good opportunity to talk about how trump energized the republican party in a way that you hadn't seen in a very long time and how 
now there is a significant voting block that is not Republican, but is Trumplican. Mm-hmm. Like if you aren't pro-Trump, they will not vote for you. Yeah, I'd say you it's probably abstain from voting. Yeah. And it's you know, like 50 million of them. <laughs> right. There's a lot. There's yeah. there's a whole lot. And I think it brings up a really good conversation around like, you know, this is a totally different um conversation, but um a lot of times we like to see these parties as being just stagnant and as like party equals ideology and it's just not the case i mean we a lot of people like to describe ron paul's presidential runs as failures i think it's the best thing that's ever happened for the liberty movement um i also think ron paul unintentionally of course set up enough um discontent and distrust within the republican party that it led to voters being okay with criticizing the Republican party and voting for someone like Donald Trump, you know? Yeah. Uh, Without Ron Paul, we probably wouldn't have had Donald Trump. Think about that. I agree. I agree for better or for worse, but um, it's just, it's so interesting when I see people being like, Oh, so you're going to like work with the party of like the warmongers this is what I mean when I say people overuse that word. It's like, okay, listen. Yeah. Both parties are like the parties of people who just want to like bomb the crap out of the middle East, but it's not the party of them. Right. Like parties are malleable. Parties consist of like the party is a vehicle. I'm sure you've heard this before. The party is the vehicle and the candidate is the driver. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the vehicle is just the machinery to get us from one place to another. And Donald Trump exemplified that. Like that man is not a Republican in a lot of ways. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Um, and you can see that from his uh, voter registration history, which was always the opposite of the party in power at the time. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Look that up. Yeah. Yeah, I believe you. And and the other thing that's interesting about it is that it either demonstrated that the machinery for the RNC is dog shit or that they destroyed the machinery for the RNC to keep him from winning again. Cause it's one or the other, like, cause they were so outworked, so out game planned by the Democrats in this election based off of reading this article. It's mind blowing. Like they got destroyed on on grassroots efforts and shit like that. Listen, we just, I'm going to be honest. I don't think Republicans have the money or the cultural hold that, we used to, you know, I think that, um, a good way to describe this is like Republicans, every election, when we're going to win, we're not actually trying to win. We're trying to play catch up. You know, we're trying to undo at least a little bit of the damage that the Democrats have done. And so really, um, Republicans are in a really tough situation right now and really have to consider what their move is going forward because as of right now democrats very clearly dominate the cultural conversation um they dominate elections they're dominating the house the senate and the presidency um and now business and tech yeah and business and tech and all forms of like content and media you know like movies and um, radio, just all of it, um, 
is just dominated by Democrats. It's and incredible. It's so thorough. <laughs> so thorough, but it's genius. They're genius. And but this, this mind- is this is the Marxist takeover of the DNC. This is right. this is the Marxist tactics that that a lot of people like the Friends Against Government now Timeline Earth guys have been reading, you know, Stalin and all these all these hardcore Marxists. And I swear to God, they're right. Like if we don't yeah. implement Marxist tacti- tactics into our messaging, and I'm speaking for the Libertarian Party, but it applies to the RNC the same way. If you don't if you don't start to play the same game, you're going to lose every time. And this lose. this is this has been the argument against conservatives for eons is that the democrats take five steps the republicans or the conservatives take one step back you know and it's like okay well which direction are you headed you're still flying in the direction of them so that's what we're going to let's talk about what the democratic party is the democratic party is everything that we're against barring certain issues that republicans have actually moved a lot on and this is where i want to make the case that like the future for liberty is within the Republican Party because one, they're drowning. They're drowning. And maybe maybe not a libertarian message that like the one the Mises Caucus is putting out there because I just don't think it's going to work in order to capture the majority of the Republican base. But a representative like Nancy Mace or Thomas Massey has huge potential to be able to message to all factions of the Republican party and actually give them something to aspire to again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't disagree. Actually. I, yeah. I think, I think that's, that's probably part of our disagreement is that, that you are in the mindset of winning and of fixing the RNC. I'm yeah. in the mindset of, you know, making the libertarian party a vessel to course correct the RNC. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. You know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could totally see that. Um, I think for me, I'm like you said, like I'm a woman. And when I say I'm a woman, that's like in one of the truest senses of the word. Like I definitely have that huge streak of agreeableness as Jordan Peterson would call it within me to where like, I just don't, I don't want to make up people uncomfortable. Right. And I think. I have very low agreeability. But hey, that's okay <laughs> because you need both of those things. I know it's it's the alpha and the omega. Like you, you have to have both. I totally agree. In order to get political messaging right, you have to have both. And you know, I can really see, um, I can really see where the Mises Caucus could do a lot of good for the Libertarian Party. Um, I think the opinion amongst a lot of Libertarians is a heavy word association between Mises caucus and racism. I know and it's crazy. Not necessarily, it's not necessarily um, the fault of you or anyone arguing online, but I will say this when you keep pushing that content up into the forefront of everyone's viewership, that's what they think. That's all they can associate it with. So I, I don't like, disagree. It's just like, it's the same yeah. thing. It's the same thing with Trump though. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like you can't, you can't ignore these people. Like, like you can tell me to, I can tell my audience to, they're not gonna. So it's like, I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. Like if we could well, all. I can't tell y'all what to do. Okay? No, no, no. But if it's. If tell you what to do, y'all would do the opposite because yeah, you're a libertarian. That's also, that's also 100% true. But, but my <laughs> point is like, regardless, people are going to 
like whether it's the testosterone or or just the hard headedness or whatever it is, we're not going to stop. So it's like, it's like, um, you know, I, whether or not like tactically you're right, I don't think it's realistic, you know, like we're, we're like, people are going to still fight with Archie flower. Like it's going to happen. So we have to figure out how to message in a way that, that both diminishes, in my opinion, this is my, this is my outlook is that we have to diminish their power, but also emphasize that they are wrong about their assessment of us. And like that, that is the thing that I think once we have the, the power in the party to control the messaging, we can then clarify that, like genuinely, if I thought that the Mises Caucus was filled with racists, I would want nothing to do with it. And I think that that's how most people in the Mises Caucus feel because we interact with all these people in the Mises Caucus. None of us behave in a racist fashion. I mean, we, make, we may make jokes that are politically incorrect because we don't like PC culture, but none of us are actually racist as far as I can tell. So that's that to me is like, I, I just, I struggle to allow that accusation to be levied without firing back against it. And, and yeah. my methodology for firing back is to humiliate, you know, like to make them feel as dumb as they should, because it's totally, totally a lie. That's my vantage point. Have, have you actually interacted with anyone in the Mises Caucus that makes you question their, you know, racial beliefs? Personally, no. Um, I have interacted with, okay, here is where I'm going to get a bunch of people DMing me awful things. I have interacted with a lot of Hoppians that the I Hoppians think- Hoppians are, are rough, yeah. I don't hate- think all Hoppians hate women, but I, yeah. I've interacted with so- Listen, like I came out about my story and everything. The people that were harassing me on Twitter- like even beforehand, all Hoppian accounts. Like I don't necessarily feel any like friendliness. Yeah, no, I get <laughs> that. a lot of them. And that's something that makes me question like, okay, listen, you can't necessarily control who's within your ranks. You just can't. Like it's a decentralized movement. So how are you going to? Right. But um, I do tend to worry sometimes about like, you know, I haven't interacted with anyone that I think is racist in the Mises caucus or that I think really is sexist, but there is a very specific brand of libertarian that I think um, has very little empathy for other people. Yes. And I think they tend to exist in the paleo libertarian sphere. And that's just kind of where I'm coming from. I I totally agree with you. Actually, Uh, you won't get any pushback from me on that. I'd actually like to talk to you about um, a little bit about, your story if you're open to it yeah sure i'd like to be vague (laughs) okay (laughs) well then and instead of me leading you at all how about you just tell us tell us what you're willing to yeah for sure so um i don't know like ever i really started getting active on twitter um after i was assaulted raped whatever you want to call it. I usually say assaulted because it's less um, striking, I guess. Um, But it's not like someone just like grabbed my ass or whatever. But um, I really started getting active on Twitter after it happened. And um, once I did come forward about it uh, and the person was let go, it was just like six months at my job of just getting 
bullied constantly. Um, a lot of my friends that I had had through Yao stopped talking to me altogether. Um, there were accounts on Twitter, like I just said, that I'm pretty sure were created by former coworkers or friends who wanted to, you know, um, either, I don't know what their goal was, honestly, but um, whatever their goal was, it worked. Cause like, I just, I became very insecure, um, very unhappy, really, really depressed. Um, I really didn't have friends. I had a f- few, but. Um, let, let me push back briefly. Yeah. Cause I don't, I don't want to give these fucking trolls any credit. I don't think it worked at all because <laughs> I think that you did exactly what you had to do. And I think that you came out, you told your story and, um, you know, they didn't win and, and the, yeah. the organization suffered because of the actions that they took. So on all, on all fronts, I think that their behavior, um, which was reprehensible to begin with also backfired. And I'd like to say on behalf of the Mises caucus, which I am not a part of, um, <laughs> but I, I interact with enough Mises caucus people to know this. The men I know in the Mises caucus are extraordinarily chivalrous and willing to fight and die to protect women's honor. So I yeah. don't think that, um, you know, you may have Hoppians that you're, treat you poorly, and I apologize for that. I, I'm not one of them either. But the, the Mises folks, for the most part, very much uh, despise and would absolutely demolish any man that would do such a thing. And uh, I don't know. I'm just I'm really proud of you for telling your story and for for taking the, the steps you did to, you know, step down from the job and to, you know, move on with your life because it's yeah. it had to have been hard. It was really hard. Um and I, I really appreciate that. But yeah, it was horrifically hard. And, um, you know, behind the scenes, I was trying to reach out, trying to look for job offers. Um, and I love Gal, you know, I think we all know that the organization has had its flaws. Um, but I think anything that like I felt like it was worth investing a lot of my time into, um, even if I wanted it to change because like true loyalty is loving something enough that you're willing to work to see it change. Right. But I think I definitely sacrificed a lot of my own health and stability in order to do that. Of course. Um, And some, and some, some things are too broken to fix and yeah. I mean, you couldn't have sacrificed more. So, <laughs> you, but you tried. I'm blessed. Do you know what I mean? Like, if, like, literally, I, I came out about my story, which I was really scared to do. And obviously, I've been super vague, which, like, I'm going to continue being vague because um, there were already consequences, in my opinion. And I don't believe in making, like, your business public a lot of the time. Like, I just don't think that that's um, good practice. Uh, For some people it is right. But for me, it just wasn't the right option for me. Honestly, Um, if you want that guy to still walk this this earth, you better not tell me. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. But um, no, like I really was blessed um, to be offered a moment where I could speak and have such a big platform. And, you know, I've always wondered like, what is my Twitter platform for? Cause it's not like I'm making money off of my follower count or whatever. Like, what is this for? Because now I get a lot of unwanted attention, right. but 
I realized that that in that moment, when all these women were coming out about Cliff and, um, you know, there were people, you know, DMing me and I couldn't say anything, obviously, while I still worked for them because they hadn't really released anything official. Mm -hmm. Um, There were people DMing me like, you know, we want to hear your your opinion on this. And I had a lot to say. And I think God really lined up a lot of different things for me to be able to come out um, at the perfect time to kind of push forward the narrative that something needed to change because I'm not trying to like toot my own horn, but I think like I am the most public woman in Yao. And I think I was kind of a loved figure of Yao, at least on the online sphere. And I think like it was an opportunity for me to use my voice to do something that was really important to me. Um, And then I had this job lined up and, you know, my boss, now was like, literally, I would have you tomorrow. So do what you got to do. Yeah, and that's so amazing. Yeah. You, you want to credit God, I'm going to credit you. I, I think that, <laughs> that what you did was really heroic. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that you did it. And I, I hope that you feel as good as you seem to about, about how things played out. Because, you know, it's just a position that no one should ever be put in. And I think you handled it with grace. So good job. Thank you. And yeah, I just like, I thought that there was nothing outside of Yao that can make me happy and make me feel like I was doing something good. And that is not the case. I learned very quickly that I knew nothing and that, um, that I have so much more opportunity to like learn and grow, um, as an effective figure of the movement, which is always what I want to do. I always want to be effective. And even in my new job, I, I feel like I'm just as effective, if not more than I was before, because I am a happy warrior now, you know? Yeah. The Ron Paul side. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You make it, you make a a much better happy warrior than I do. I'm, I'm the, uh, the vitriol fire breathing dragon. And you're like the the nice little angel that flies in. So (laughs) I'm not always an angel when I try to be a dragon online though, people get really mad. So. you do it pretty rarely so it's okay i i like it i like it when you get pissed because it's it is rare so and i can always tell because your your tone is usually very sweet and i'm like oh nope maggie's pissed Someone pissed off maggie oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well shit yeah. i don't even know if i want to transition back into this article but um, it's let's, fine let's do it let's okay. do it okay Wrap this okay <laughs> okay um uh, so i'm just gonna read some like notes we don't have to talk about each one but mm-hmm. in august and september uh, they sent out ballot applications to 15 million people in key states. So I think that's just a, an important thing to note about in terms of key like, states. yeah, key states is the really key thing there. And and what I think that, states? what's that? What are the states? It Give me say. a Michigan, an Arizona, a Georgia, maybe? Uh, Pennsylvania, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what would be a key state? <laughs> uh, in the end, nearly half the electorate cast ballots by mail in 2020, practically a revolution in how people vote. About a quarter voted early in person. Only a quarter of voters cast their ballots the traditional way in person on election day. So that is a, a really, um, you know, just a monumental shift in how elections are handled. Uh, Laura Quinn, a veteran progressive operative who co-founded Catalyst, began studying this problem a few years ago. She piloted a nameless secret project, which she has never before publicly discussed, that tracked disinformation online and tried to figure out how to combat it. One component was tracking dangerous lies that might otherwise spread unnoticed. 
Researchers then provided information to campaigners or the media to track down the sources and expose them. They then sat down with uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey, quote, it took pushing, urging, conversations, brainstorming, all of that to get to a place where we ended up with more rigorous rules and enforcement, end quote, says Vanita Gupta. Gupta has been nominated for Associate Attorney General by President Joe Biden. I mean, it all, it's just like, it's, it's such, so incestuous. Yes, it is, right? but it, it, but it's also such a glorious window into the inner workings of the fucking powerful sanctum you know like you really get to understand what's going on it's it's crazy so these guys essentially utilize vanita gupta to pressure zuckerberg and dorsey into doing their bidding and then they won the election almost certainly because it was so close based off of all the uh suppression that was done online to you know get rid of the hunter biden story and push up any nonsense about trump which they constantly did for four years and then boom you walk away with it um about a week before election day Photos are received an unexpected message. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce wanted to talk. So now you have the U.S. Chamber of Commerce working with the AFL-CIO advisor. So it's it's all, you know, people, people always laugh when you talk about the deep state, but it's like, yeah, this is kind of it. This is kind of how it works. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and Alexa, oh, go ahead. Deep state or just politics? Like, this is politics. Right, and, but I, I just don't think people understand how deep it goes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, but they should. People should know that like politics is so much more than just knocking doors or like winning elections. Like it goes into this. <laughs> Do you know what right. I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I think this should open everyone's eyes as to really what we're up against. Um, but actually, is this democracy? Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> well, is it? <laughs> it's it's. I mean, it still might be considered democracy since we vote, but damn, if it's not something a little bit more advanced than that. Um, yeah. All right. I'm going to skip this long quote because it's too much. And uh, democracy won in the end. This is, this is their final line. Democracy won in the end. The will of the people prevailed. But it's crazy in retrospect that this is what it took to put on an election in the United States of America. It's like, it didn't take all this. You did it all because the only outcome you were willing to accept was Trump losing. I mean, wow. The framing on that's amazing though, huh? It is. It is. It's great if you want to sell someone who's like a total NPC and like doesn't actually think for themselves. (laughs) (laughs) This is what it took to save an election. Like, no, it literally at one point in the article, they're talking about um, election night when the first results were rolling in and they thought it was going to go to Trump. And how everyone was like so disappointed. And that right there shows you like this was all this was all for Biden. Um, this was never you can you can claim it was nonpartisan, but this was never um, something to be neutral. No, you're yeah. you're absolutely right. And since since you're referencing that that quote, I'm going to go ahead and read it, even though it's very okay. long. But I thought this was maybe the best part of the entire article and it's pretty deep in it so most people probably won't even get to it and read it uh election night began with many democrats despairing trump was running ahead of pre-election polling winning florida ohio and texas easily and keeping michigan wisconsin and pennsylvania too close to call but Podozer was unperturbed when i spoke to him that night the returns were exactly in line with his modeling he had been warning for weeks that trump voters turnout was surging as the numbers dribbled out he could tell that as long as the, all the votes were counted trump would lose i'm sorry you don't, you never have that kind of a, uh, 
an analysis or research on an election that you can be certain. And the, the framing of this is, I mean, for anyone who thinks that there was voter fraud or manipulation on a, on a more sinister scale, as opposed to just manipulating narrative, that, that paragraph right there is going to scare the shit out of people. I mean, it's going to convince yeah. a whole lot of people that, I mean, why is this guy so confident? It's like Trump's crushing it on, on voter night and he's like, nah, nah, we're good. Um, so the liberal, the liberal alliance gathered for an 11 p.m. Zoom call. Hundreds joined. Many were freaking out. Quote, it was really important for me and the team in that moment to help ground people in what we had already known was true. Uh, Potos are presented dead to show the group that victory was in hand. While he was talking, Fox News surprised everyone by calling Arizona for Biden. The public awareness campaign had worked. TV anchors were bending over backward to counsel caution and frame the vote count accurately. The question then became uh, what to do next. The conversation that followed was a difficult one, led by the activists charged with the protest strategy. Uh, quote, we wanted to be mindful of when was the right time to call for moving masses of people into the streets, people says. As much as they were eager to mount a show of strength, mobilizing immediately could backfire and put people at risk. Protests that devolved into violent clashes would give Trump a pretext to send in federal agents or troops as he had over the summer. And rather than elevate Trump's complaints by continuing to fight him, the alliance wanted to send the message that the people had spoken. So the word went out, stand down, protect the results announced that it would not be activating the entire national mobilization network today, but remains ready to activate it if necessary. I mean, it's crazy that they're admitting all this. It's like they had, they had protests ready to roll. And they admitted to it. They're bragging about it. Yes. Stand down. We're not activating the, uh, the countrywide protest. What these, these organic protests that we have at the at the flick of a button we can activate and deactivate. I mean that is that is shedding light in a way that I never thought in my life I would get. So this that for that reason alone I love this article. Um, so anyways I'll stop there. But can can an election be won by an outsider anymore? Given what we know from this article. Um. Yes. Uh, never. Never doubt the power of the people. I'll say that, but um, wow. Like it, I just feel like this year was the year of saying the quiet part out loud. Like these are overlords just admitted to so much this year um, about how they're trying to control us. And it's kind of crazy, but um, I, I do think you can still win an election as an outsider, but you got to have funding and strategy. Like yeah. that's really what it's all about. Um, well, I, I love your eternal optimism. I believe this is, this is the death knell the death for of democracy. I do. <laughs> I really believe that. I believe that without revolution, I don't think that you'll ever have someone who isn't cathedral approved in power. This, this shed yeah. so much light on the actual inner workings of how they manipulate and control elections. I, I think you and I, both would probably be, be more red pilled than most when it comes to this stuff. And even I wasn't prepared for this. This is like, yeah, this is wild. I mean, it's wild. Um, but anyways, I, I wanted to pivot to, you know, if, if I'm right that we can't win a national election, which you, you still are optimistic on, which I, I genuinely appreciate, uh, what's the point in political activism, if not to simply use it as a propaganda tool, kind of back to my thesis about what the LP should be used for is that it should just be a messaging tool to, essentially wake up or provide a home or shelter to the few people that are red pulled enough to understand how sick our system is. Right. So I'll say this, um, you're talking about a national election. Mm -hmm. 
the presidency, I would argue, should never be the goal when we're trying to get people elected into office. Like it just shouldn't. That's where that's again, there are finite resources over here where are people spreading and doling them out is really um, what you should be focusing on. Um, because while Biden won, Republicans took back a lot of seats in the house. We may, they may not have like captured all of them and captured a majority, but they took, a, they took back a lot of seats. So what was going on there? Well, a lot of Republican energy was being focused on these races. So, you know, um, and something interesting I've observed is like people don't necessarily vote um, for the same party federally that they do in statewide elections. Like in Louisiana, we vote red federally and blue locally. It's really weird. That is weird. Um, but let's say we never get a non-cathedral approved president again. Uh, listen, local elections, statewide elections, congressional elections, they are still there. Um, and you can do a lot in those positions. Like we like to think that all of this power is concentrated up at the top, but there is still power doled out to the states and to localities in, sure. in America. I mean, for, for now. <laughs> for now, yeah. But um, no, it's still very true that states hold on to a lot of power. That's why you see them performing so differently economically well, and culturally. Well, not to, I mean, I don't think any of us understood how differently they performed until the lockdowns. My God, like that, that really shows the power. And, and in my opinion, really doubled down on my belief that we need to vote with our feet. Like people that value freedom need to go to states that value freedom. People that are, you know, afraid of socialism and all this shit, you need to stop contributing your tax dollars and, mm -hmm. and your suffering to states like California, New York, wherever else, and, and start to move to these more freedom-oriented places so that you can actually make a difference in a state that can, you know, promote liberty. <laughs> um, yeah. So does that mean you're leaving California? I am. You are? Where are you yeah. moving? Probably Texas. Texas? Okay. That's yeah. a good... A good option. You should move to Austin. Actually, no, you should move to Round Rock. That's where I lived. No you kidding. get lower taxes. Um, it's more of a conservative government out there, but it's right next to Austin. It's and too funny. I, I just did a loan uh, last year in Round Rock. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I know it well. It's actually uh, really beautiful houses out there for not much money. So I'm going to be a baller. It's going to be great. I, I will definitely be following up with you for uh, for tips on how to make friends out there since you know people i'm sure i can connect you to an austin and caps group hey now we're talking they're fun they're awesome. fun all right yeah. well i've i've held you for way too long and you're probably dying so thank you so much for coming on maggie <laughs> yeah thank you for having me on you can really follow, follow her on twitter at liberty anders and is there any other social media for you or are you just twitter like me i'm just twitter yeah cool. you're the best i really appreciate you thank you you're the best <laughs> <laughs>
Welcome to Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening Scared Hollywood left these lyrical fappening A typo with Luke might bring the nooses We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses Freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcast sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house No malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government, just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Allowable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky Smooth Tom was the only sound Getting so hot must be Air July Screaming in the mic to rip a 59 Miles Ture showed that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping ain't rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're right with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show.